Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 104. These people mean a lot to me. This week, we're discussing our favorite episodes from Buffy Season 4 and Angel Season 1, as well as some of the broader themes and character development. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, well, we're gonna switch it up a little bit this time because we're doing the two seasonal recaps together. And since we have this nice, you know, Buffy verse that they both take place in and are kind of interacting with each other, um, we're going to kind of talk about them together. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was actually trying to think just now while we were talking, you know, right before, um, about when the last time we actually did two seasonal recaps together. I know obviously we did it for like the first season of each Buffy and Doctor right. Who. Is that the only time? Might have been the only time. Yeah, be- unless the only other possibility could have been if like like, you know, Doctor Who maybe was like two three. seasons ahead or something and maybe they lined up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what I was thinking, like, maybe like, the end of season three yeah. of Doctor Who and, and like season, season two of Buffy. Something like that, maybe. Um, I can't remember but, exactly how it all worked out. But yeah. Not that we couldn't go just look it up, but yeah. I just was literally just, thinking of it just now. So <laughs> um, it's not really that big a deal. I just thought, um, well, and the, so then the second part of that thought, which, I, which we did talk about a little bit, was that uh, this would be... Um, you know, this will be the format for the rest of Buffy and Angel together. Right. At least, I mean, until Buffy ends, at least, and right. then Angel's going to have its own thing. But um, when it, you know, for its final season. But yeah, just kind of that interesting uh, way things work out, I yeah, guess. Yeah, because so. they'll continue to have the same number of episodes per season. So mm-hmm. they'll keep sort of matching up. Yeah, um, yeah. But I guess before we get into specifics, we maybe have a few production things to sort of... <clears throat> yeah, well, mostly I just wanted to make sure we acknowledge, and I think we acknowledge some of this stuff um, during a few of the, the episodes around um, like awards and nominations and that kind of thing. But I just want to make sure we covered them all because uh, definitely, definitely some good stuff, especially in Buffy season four mm-hmm. but also for the the start of angel both got some pretty decent critical acclaim mm-hmm. um so for buffy i think we mentioned that sort of ironically even though it was it's kind of universally panned as a pretty poor episode uh beer bad right. actually got one of buffy's um several emmy award nominations mm-hmm. uh specifically for outstanding hairstyle for a series um didn't win but it it got nominated for that um more sort of maybe notably uh and i think we talked about this with hush uh as well that that episode got two actual uh emmy award nominations one for outstanding cinematography um in a single camera series Mm -hmm. a very specific you know technical award but um also one that um is actually more 
maybe important might be the word or, or at least notable um which was outstanding writing for our drama series which you know for an emmy award i mean that includes not just sort of the sci-fi or technical right. you know uh uh, CGI type stuff, but actual like great writing. And, and that was also for Hush. So, um, you know, a nice sort of tip of the hat there to Joss Whedon yeah. specifically for writing that episode and, um, and for the, the series as a whole, which, you know, being in its fourth season is kind of nice. Um, there, in addition to the Emmy awards. So those are sort of the, the, uh, episode specific awards in addition for in addition to those um season four of buffy also was nominated for a television critics association award um for outstanding achievement in drama Mm -hmm. uh so and and actually two awards so one was outstanding achievement in drama and the other was for program of the year from television critics association Mm -hmm. so again you know you know it's it's maybe not quite as prestigious as the emmys but you know again we're talking you know, this isn't just limited to like sci-fi right. and genre shows. This right. is this is sort of across right. the board, and not just fan fan. Not that we don't like the fan awards too, but but from like the critics and the right. industry as well. Um, and I yeah. feel like that's that's bumped up a notch from previous seasons. Like it kind of seems like Buffy maybe by this point was getting more noticed as a quality show you know, outside just its fan base, but by, you know, the Emmys mm-hmm. and these other more prestigious, you know, voting nominations and yeah. everything too. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, we both liked Hush, uh, right. and so did like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it got praise from the USA, the, uh, Star Ledger, wherever that is, New York Daily News, The Independent in the UK, yeah. the AV Club, Salon, yeah. you know, like all these different LA Times, like all these different, yeah. um, like mass media uh, critics and and things, you know, just really love that episode. And and I think I mentioned before, like I I feel like season three is the strongest season uh-huh. uh, of of Buffy. Um, I still think season, and we're obviously we're going to talk about season four now. I still think season four is a fairly strong season overall, and that some of the criticism it gets maybe is a little bit unfair. But I definitely I feel like with episodes like Hush and Superstar and Restless, mm-hmm. like we start getting some of these like really like really high quality yeah. episodes um, that are maybe in the midst of slightly less strong seasonal arcs. Sure, and um, I think we've maybe. Like when people say that season three is the best Buffy season, probably what, you know, where you can kind of concede that is maybe it's the strongest sort of overall, like it's, it's minimum level of quality is, is, but maybe some of the other seasons have maybe some lower lows, but maybe also some higher highs, you know, that when it. And like, and I really liked season three of Buffy too. But probably those three episodes that you just named, I would put up against any episode in season three. Um, and I think they would sure. meet or exceed it. You know, so like, you know, I, and I, 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 so then I guess that depends when you're looking at a season of of TV. How do you define strength? Is it like overall right. average? You know, or is it you know, scope and ambition, you know, so maybe mm-hmm. this doesn't hit all the, the consistency of the previous season, but it, 
maybe shoots a little bit higher um which is yeah like again nice to see like you know going into the fourth season joss um pushing the show and coming up with new ideas and you know um you know even things that you might expect you'd get complacent with like people say oh he's just about witty dialogue okay well then we do an episode that has no talking in it you know so like right, like right, looking right. for ways to get not, a little more experimental yeah looking and... for ways to not just rest on your laurels and i think all three again of the episodes that we kind of highlighted there are all experimental and are all trying to break and, the mold and and funny that by not resting on your laurels you actually end up earning new laurels yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> um so yeah no definitely um you know and as far as viewership goes i mean it, it, slightly lower in season four than season mm-hmm. three and it's going to continue to drop um from here on mm-hmm. out through the series but I mean, you know, like the average average viewers uh, was 5.3 million mm-hmm. in season three and 5.1 million in season four. So we're not talking like drastically, sure. you know, lower numbers or anything like still yeah. pretty strong uh, number 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 two in the network, uh, the WB network for season three, number three in the WB network for season four. So, you know, slight drop within the network itself too but still again pretty strong mm-hmm. you know definitely um definitely something that you know is is worth watching and noting and and like you said like i think the any of any of the strongest episodes at least in this season probably individually could stand against and perhaps even beat any of the episodes in season three mm-hmm. so um very very good and actually um I mean, for first season of Angel, definitely got some really good, uh, really good uh, indications here too. And I lost my, <laughs> I lost my notes here on that one. So hold on, let me let me just pull that up again. Um, you know, I think, I mean, one obviously it's similar audience, but also kind of a different one. I mean, we talked about how like kind of even from the beginning, like it they didn't necessarily um, like they, they wanted people who watched Buffy Mm -hmm. to enjoy it, but also not to necessarily have to have watched Buffy to enjoy it. So like, you know, playing a fine line, it, it, it's tough to see whether they actually were successful in that Mm -hmm. because I mean, I watched Buffy, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I, like I'm not right. one of the ones who came to Angel and hadn't watched Buffy. Um, although I actually, actually I did see a few episodes of Angel before I ever watched Buffy. So I guess actually that's not completely true. But I did, you know, I enjoyed it. It wasn't like I didn't feel like I had to watch Buffy mm-hmm. to make sense. So I guess that it is sort of successful in that way. But um, yeah, I also at that point know. I also oh, sorry. had. Go ahead and finish. I was just gonna say at that point I also was sort of already on the Whedon bandwagon. Right. Like I'd already seen Firefly okay. and stuff. So I kind of, I kind of, and, and actually, so you had some I'm exposure sure, to the style and the world and who kind of, he was as a writer and everything. I think, you know, by the time I had seen my first angel episode, I was already watching bones as well, which is Boreanaz's right. current show, right. um, which is, I mean, in its 10th or 11th right. season now, yeah. something like that. So, um, 
you know, so I had already been a watcher of Bones. So like I already kind of knew him and his sort of quirks and personality Mm -hmm. too a little bit. Um, Although I think that gets developed more in Angel than in in Buffy. Mm. Um, And you start to see some more similarities maybe between those two characters. But uh, so, yeah, so I, I think, I think, you know, the fact is they, they, so, um, you know, 5.1 million viewers for Buffy and it was 4.8 million viewers for Angel in the same time period. So again, we're not talking like drastic difference in audience, slightly less for Angel, but it's also a first season. Right. You right, know, and not, show. And and, not hugely and less a spin-off. either, yeah. And a spinoff, yeah. and different in tone. Yeah. So, like, you know, there's kind of a lot of reasons why it could be much lower, right. and it, it doesn't. It's not. Um, so, on to the actual accolades for the season. Right. Um, uh, no Emmy nominations, but David Boreanaz actually won a Saturn Award, huh. um, which, is, which is put out by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror mm-hmm. Film. Um, for his, for uh best actor on television. So again, so this is a genre base, but sure, you know, but a still pretty notable one within, too. Yeah, definitely a notable one. And and within that, I mean to for him to be selected best actor is pretty pretty no, uh notable. Um the show itself was also nominated for a Saturn Award, mm-hmm. didn't win uh for best television uh network or network television series mm-hmm. and Charisma Carpenter was nominated for Best Supporting Actress uh on television for a saturn award as well um uh but did not but did not win that either but so i mean so three nominations one win for the show i mean that's pretty good um and and i'm sorry actually i I misread uh it did actually receive an emmy nomination as well uh for outstanding makeup uh in the series um for the ring so actually so interesting then that that went up against um Oh no! I guess that was hairstyle for beer bat. Never mind. Um, right. It was it was an earlier episode where for the for the makeup one it was with the judge back in season oh, right. two uh, uh, that uh, Buffy had right, the been nominated for. Um, and then um, yeah, just I mean again like viewership wise, uh, very close to Buffy. Um, got got some pretty decent. You know, I mean like not not as many. Um, sort of individual episode accolades mm-hmm. from like critics and stuff. The futon critic thought five by five was the 10th best episode of 2000. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what else we could say about the year 2000 sure. in TV, but um, I'd have to look up some stuff there, but there's at least one opinion Metacritic. Yeah. It has a pretty favorable rating. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely a good, a good, strong, first season um you know again we'll talk through maybe some specifics you know just like buffy's first season there's some strong and there's some less strong you know things going on but it's it's a pretty but no no finish what you're saying (laughs) no i I was just gonna say it's a pretty good showing so i mean we i don't think it it certainly doesn't have anything to like sort of be sad about (laughs) you know if if a tv series can be sad um it (laughs) you know, did pretty well. I yeah. think definitely managed to get the tone and the, and the vibe and the, the story that David Greenwalt and Joss Whedon were going for with the whole spinoff. So, yeah. Um, what I was just thinking, well, two things in what you're saying there. One was, I wonder 
how much of the audience was crossover like of the 4.8 million that yeah. watch angel i'm curious how m many of them were also buffy watchers because i feel like i feel like probably most whedon fans watch both um i feel like i've seen at least a few you know people who like Buffy but aren't necessarily interested in Angel but but mm. I don't know that I have ever heard many people who say they like Angel but not Buffy so I'm just curious you know sure. where wh where the crossover is if Angel had an audience that was primarily an Angel based audience or if they were if if all of pretty much all of those you know, 4.8 came over from Buffy and the difference is the people who decided that they didn't, you know, weren't interested or whatever, you know? Um, so, yeah. And that's, I don't know whether those, that's a provable data, you know, point or like whether any thoughts have been written about that. Um, just kind of curious to know. Um, what else was I going to, the other thing I was going to say too was, it's interesting that like it got the 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 Saturn nominations and everything and not I'm not surprised that it got them. What I'm more surprised is why didn't Buffy what's holding Buffy back from you know mm. some of those and because I think you know Angel has a good first season but also it has like like you said the occasional issues that a first season you know, has where it's still sort of finding itself and its voice. And I feel like of the two, problem episodes aside, I would say that the Buffy season four was a stronger season, you know, because like we said, of it knows its it knows its characters inside out, the writers know what they're doing, and the the really strong episodes are really strong. Like and so I'm curious, like, what's holding Buffy back from, you know, like, is that, and I wonder if it's, and not that it wasn't recognized, like, obviously, you mentioned the awards that it was nominated for and the acclaim that it got. So it's not like nobody thought it was good. But I wonder if, like, in genre stuff, like Saturn Awards and things, if there's, like, maybe because Buffy is, is more still the kind of adolescent thing of, of younger stories mm -hmm. and everything. Like, maybe there's something about the more, you know, adult tone of Angel that was more appealing to, you know, whoever yeah. votes for Saturn Awards. It, that's just a thought. Like, because I feel like Buffy... Could it should have and could have been right up there with it, also being kind of recognized by the same groups of people. Um, so, just wondering yeah. if there's, if there's I, a if if there's a reason you know what, or, and, or you know. And actually, so one thing, um, X Files, okay, was sort of in its sure. So there's stiff competition thing going here. Yeah. Um, the other thing is actually Buffy did get. Nominated, and so maybe it was just the particular Wikipedia pages I was looking oh, at didn't okay. mention mention it. But um, Buffy actually won Saturn Award in ninety seven, uh, two thousand. Okay, which is 
the second year that Angel. So okay, so maybe I shouldn't say that because that's like a preview. So maybe just (laughs) Um, not these particular, not this particular year or whatever. And actually continued. It looks like for all seven seasons, Buffy was at least nominated and won a few times. Okay, so um, okay. That's perhaps my fault for not digging as much into research, but just while you were talking about that, and I don't know, so that that's just um, that's for network television series. I would have to imagine that if I dug into the other categories, which I I can do and will do, like maybe that's poor due diligence on my part. <laughs> um, I will I will look at that um, for future discussions. Um, yeah, well, and it's like there's always like the really random, obscure little awards that like you've never even heard of. But like that was the only it 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 was sort of like oh that's surprising that Saturn likes you know Angel yeah. but not Buffy. But maybe it's just a it it's a quirk of Wikipedia yeah. that sometimes stuff doesn't get, doesn't get mentioned added. in every place yeah. that it can. Um, and actually, so I mentioned like Charisma Carpenter got nominated for Best Actress. Uh, in that first season of Angel, Buffy also got nominated that same year. Sarah Michelle Gellar yeah. also got nominated for Buffy <laughs> yeah. in that same year. No, Buffy herself was nominated. Um, Sarah but Michelle actually, Gellar so is just, Buffy. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so just just to, I mean, just to, the competition going up against Gillian Anderson for Exiles yeah, was it, nominated. Uh, Kate Mulgrew from Star Trek Voyager, mm-hmm. um, who played Captain Janeway. And um, Jessica Alba actually won that year for Dark Angel, which oh, is a show I've never seen, right. but has that sort of cult following as right. well. And um, and was on Fox, it looks like. So, you know, again, like a bigger, probably a bigger audience even. Um, right. I don't I don't know that for sure, but. That's my guess. Um, That was, but that, that also, um, I think was its first year, if I'm reading that right. Mm -hmm. So you have, so you have Angel and Dark Angel in the same (laughs) year. Um, So yeah, so, and, and then the other nomination that year is Claudia Black for Farscape, which is another show that I know has a pretty big following, but I like cult following, but I don't, I've never seen it um, myself. So, so that is my my bad um i will try to try to do better about um, it's all it's like, all Wikipedia's you're, you're always fault. so you're you're always so good with the award stuff so i well i do try but see but like, here's the thing though clearly. i rely on wikipedia for that so now i'm now i question the accuracy of their page so i can't swear up and down that it's totally 100 sure. percent um um well, and it looks like, I mean, these also weren't mentioned on sort of the main page. Alexis Denisoff and James Marsters were both nominated for supporting actors there you go. Uh, in their respective roles. And James Marsters actually won there you go. That Saturn Look at Award that. That, that year for season four of Buffy, 2000, yeah. you know, year 2000. Um, and actually, Buffy had two nominations because Anthony had also was nominated that same year. Um, so, wow. so, you know, Lesson this is my... about Wikipedia yeah, this today. Is, this this is this is my bad we should I, we're like literally doing research on our podcast i should <laughs> like probably stop live but actually meeting. before before we stop i should also note that i found a reddit thread from eight months ago uh-huh. asking i love angel should i watch buffy Interesting. so there is there is at least one <laughs> there's and, one and the very and the very first que- the very first response to that question is how did you watch Angel without ever watching Buffy? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. your incredulity and, and sort of... Uh, That's kind of all you need to know. Yeah. 
that, so, that is so shared. it is so they are out there but they are few and far between probably is the, right right yeah right that's funny um <laughs> and another another comment sorry I, i'll stop reading reddit comments in a moment but another comment goes for god's sakes man you put the cart before the horse so okay uh, so yeah so we all one or two viewers aside and i guess we can talk about too like you know how you mentioned towards the end that angel's starting to more definitively break away that it's not quite so reliant on Buffy, you know, anymore for, you know, its story and, you know, uh, so it's maybe being more independent, but still Buffy is always going to be the, the, the primary and the flagship and everything. Yeah. Um, And that's just as it should be. It came first. It's the, it's the original instead of the spinoff, you know, um, that's the way it goes. Um, yeah, and I don't, I mean, you know, as far as viewers, like, it always, so, season one of Angel actually has the highest viewership, so, mm-hmm. whereas Buffy sort of gained viewers right. and then started to lose them, right. like, Angel sort of starts at the top and slowly, now, again, we're talking not necessarily huge drops each time, but, like, a million or so viewers by the end of the series it loses. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like on average, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, over five series, that's obviously a, maybe a few hundred thousand per mm-hmm. year, but a couple hundred thousand per year, but it's not like drastic drops each time, but it's significant enough that by the end, it's like, you know, a 20% loss yeah. in, in total viewership. So, um, okay. you know, it doesn't, Although, that said, I don't think that's an indication of the quality of the show myself. I actually think the show does some really good things. It has its problems, certainly. Sure. But um, I think it, it does sort of at least grow for a while and then, you know, might taper off a little bit at the end. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I still think it's worth watching. The other thing I'll say, just sort of in the... In, and we're talking more like series as a whole rather than specific, uh, 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 you know, um, seasons. But I will say, too, that, like, I think it's possible to watch Buffy without, like, all the way through mm-hmm. without hugely spoiling Angel. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two, like, minor plot points mm-hmm. might come through in a few, like, crossover episodes. But I think it's exactly the opposite if you go the other way. Um, so if you've seen Angel, you definitely find out things from crossovers that are actually really important right. um, to sort of the, the flow and the storyline of Buffy. Right. So for what it's like, I don't know if that's, again, sort of another function of Buffy kind of being the main show, right. so to speak, and Angel being the, the spinoff, but... I just, for whatever reason, it does, I think, work out that way. Unless there's something really critical that I'm forgetting about that happens in Angel that, that is mentioned in Buffy. I, that's, that's my recollection anyway. Um, Okay. Hmm. It's, of course, always a disclaimer that I could be forgetting something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Always good to remember that. Um, okay. Well, 
Now that now we're, that halfway, we're halfway, halfway through. <laughs> Let's talk about specific episodes. So for all the acclaim that we and all those many people gave Hush, as much as we love it, we also kind of feel like you could go out and <laughs> read many other blogs and podcasts of people talking about how much they love Hush sure. and deservedly so. So we're going to, we're going to take the, the less trodden path and we're, not. We're going to stay hush on hush. Yeah. We're just not going to go into that. Um, no. no, I mean, obviously hush is the, you know, even if it's not, you know, objectively the best or everybody's favorite episode, I feel like you have to put it up there as one yeah. of, if not the, like, you know, it, for me, it was the episode that its reputation preceded itself, that I knew about it right. before I watched it. So that right. kind of <laughs> tells you all you need to know about it. Um, it's it, it's like every fantasy writer has to deal with Tolkien in right. some way. It's so the like, elephant you know, in if, the room, if you're, yeah. If you're, if you're going to study and watch Joss Whedon's work, you have yeah. to at least acknowledge, acknowledge it and deal with Hush, Hush yeah. in some, yeah. some way. But um, there are other episodes that we personally like more, um, and or at least wanted, or at to least talk wanted about to talk about more. Um, maybe we wouldn't. Maybe we wouldn't take it to the desert island. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going another way. So um, I that mine is no shock because I said it in the last Buffy recording was my favorite episode of the series so far. So. It would be kind of silly if I didn't also call it the favorite of the season. Um, so that's Restless. Um, and mm. I feel like I praised it, so I'm, I'm not quite sure that I have any profound insights that I didn't bring to the table last <laughs> time. But again, I think it sure. is that... Again, and I'll, I keep saying this because I always feel like I feel bad... I feel bad about myself when you like only ever pick the really weird experimental episodes, you know, as your favorite, sure. because I feel like the message is that, you know, that the show is only at its best when it's not doing what it normally does, which is not at all true. I don't mm. think, you know, I, but I think what makes the special episodes special is because they don't happen a lot. Like if, if yeah. every yes. episode was, you know, breaking the formula, then you'd have no basis to like on which to, right. you'd have no formula to break. If that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's not that I don't l really like every, you know, all the other episodes. It's just that it's really fun when you get one that, totally does what you're not expecting and i feel like that episode is like the iconic version of just not doing what you expect you know so everything from the fact that it, it comes after the climax of the season so that the season mm -hmm. like the story is effectively over but this is like right. the weird little like denouement that we've stuck on to the end but also because of like the mythic uh, interaction with the first Slayer and all this sort of prophetic looking both back to where we've been and forward to where we're going, 
in some ways, even mm-hmm. though it's irrelevant to the story, it's also like the most important episode in the whole story. <laughs> like, I feel like nothing happens, but you could also make an argument that like this is like the actual heart of the series, you know, at mm. least up to this point, And I'd be willing to bet like to a certain extent going forward too. like and again, because it happens exactly where it does at the midpoint. I wouldn't be surprised if when you look back over the the whole series, this stands out as the center, you know, maybe, maybe not the most important in terms of what happens mm-hmm. in it, but maybe the most important in terms of like summing up the ideas and the themes mm-hmm. and everything. So, so what you're saying is that restless is the cheese that stands it's alone. It's the cheese that stands alone. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's like like you cheese. said, Buffy is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and it it kind of that was a very wistful yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I would say that well and also it kind of it totally fits with the the dream format and even like the hmm. the cheese man of like just like it's a plotless episode like nothing happens like they literally go to sleep. And then wake up, and that's all that like happens in terms yeah. of actual e- events. Even less happens than an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like a show about nothing. Yeah. It, like even they less don't happens. even go to a Chinese restaurant. Like they literally just <laughs> right. stay in their living room. Um, but but at this, so like, okay, you have these nonsensical dreams where everything is random and abstract and you know free association and silly and everything mm-hmm. but also as much as it means nothing it also means everything because you're seeing into like the deepest fears and anxieties and hopes of the characters and getting to kind of the inner core of who they are and everything so as much as everything is kind of meaningless it's not at all meaningless everything's meaningful and in in some ways it's supercharged with meaning because it's about what's going on inside them you know like everything that happens in the episode is internal so it's about what they're thinking and feeling and where they are as people and everything so i think i just really like the way that the that the the kind of conceit of the dreams Mm. um works in what the episode is doing yeah and i mean if you want to get like meta textual i always want to get meta textual about it 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 gets it gets it almost acts like because i mean you know physiologically like and psychologically like dreams are to help you process Mm -hmm. what you've learned for the day or for you know a period of time maybe it's not a specific day or whatever but like you know that's right that's the idea behind dreams or so we're told that that they sort of help us deal with the things that happen and i mean we don't always remember our dreams or maybe there's parts of our dreams that we don't remember and, and only remember certain parts but like for the series this kind of works as a dream for the viewer as well, yeah. or a chance to sort of assimilate everything from the past four seasons mm. and, you know, right up to the previous episode with the first or with the um, 
like where the power of their coalescence yeah. and that kind of thing. We'll talk about like coalescence a little bit too in a bit, but um, yeah, just like it kind of like because of its weird and quirky um, dream aspect to it, like you get, you know, the silly moments with like Anya trying to steer yeah. the car by gesturing and that kind of thing. And, but also, you know, brings out sort of, at the same time, Xander's sort of pursuit of the different women mm. in his life. And, you know, all these things that are like, they're, they're hints and suggestions, sometimes fairly strong mm-hmm. suggestions, but they're not like, like, it's not like explicitly calling things out or like, you know, with Willow's fear of, you know, first the whole stage thing, which isn't the first time that we've seen right. that fear, right? right? It's it's a callback to much earlier stuff with her. But then also that the same fear applies to her being in class and her being found out mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, sort of making us think, oh, well, you know, is like, oh, the lesbian thing? Well, no, not the lesbian thing, because it's she's actually thinking she'll be found out that she's not really this sort of secure, confident right. person that she's grown to be. Yeah. And that we sort of discussed how like with her and Tara, how sort of Tara is now the willow of the group, you know, and, and willow herself is actually much more confident, but the dream helps us remember that actually maybe she's not as far away from all of that as we'd like to think, Mm -hmm. or maybe she likes to think and that kind of thing. So I think, you know, the very dream aspect of it helps us. And the fact that it is sort of the denouement, right? Like that's, that's the time when you sort of learn, what happens after the climax right. takes place. And, you know, it, it's like the, it, it's typically the, you know, if you're thinking of like a Scooby-Doo episode, it's the episode where they pull off the mask and explain everything. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you kids. So <laughs> like, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. I mean, obviously this is much weirder and quirkier and yeah. a little more abstract than that, but I think it works in that same kind of way. Um, to give us those moments of reflection and hints of reflection and memory, but also point us to the future, like you said, because you get moments and, and like Tara is sort of dream Tara is sort of the vehicle for that. Um, Like we find out in Buffy's dream that Tara is kind of the one that the Slayer is using to speak Mm -hmm. for her. So then you have to kind of think like, Oh, so is that true also in like the Mm -hmm. other, you know, dreams as right. well like is um, tara so all the always that she the says, representative of yeah yeah the things that she says to all the different people like you know can we put that together but but you get things like i mean we'll talk about this next week but like tara saying be back before mm, dawn yeah. you know and and that kind of thing where we get this like final hint of of this character that at the time the episode aired like nobody knew right anything what about that what meant, that meant. Yeah. um but even things like when she says to Buffy, you know, you think you know what's to come, what you are, you haven't even begun. Mm. You know, things like that. It's like, well, okay, so what, like, you pointed out that this seems like a very pivotal episode. And, and it's, season four at least is in the middle. So maybe not this specific episode. We're kind mm-hmm. of into the second half of the series at this sure. point. But like, but I do think you're right, like, thematically, it's a pivotal episode. Because this is, you know, this is saying like, okay kind of to your point about the patterns, like we've spent four seasons now mm-hmm. setting up these patterns. What's going to change now? Right. Though? Like, 
we're we're past our freshman year of college things are going to change we're fully adults and we've kind of now dealt with the the aspects of feeling alone and abandoned mm-hmm. and you know losing our friends of the past like we've gotten we've, we've resolved that and we've pulled back together so what's next mm. like where where do we go from here and that's that's at least I think what Tara's sort of purpose is yeah. in, in saying that, or, you know, the Slayer maybe, you know, in saying that kind of thing. So there's definitely, um, yeah, it's not just about processing what's happened, but also looking forward to the future where none of us, the audience or the characters know what yeah. is coming. Um, and I think too, like, it also gives you a chance to start of, sort of start from a fresh slate because like we've resolved a ton of stuff like at the end of season three like i mean yeah you kind of have this big grandiose battle with the serpent and whatever but you had um you know the the mayor and whatever but like you had still like things hanging like faith in a coma and you know Angel yeah. going Buffy's off and leaving and party yeah. and stuff. Yeah, like that whole thing being sort of bad and not not bad, but just like kind of awkward and not fully resolved. But like this season resolves those mm-hmm. things it, and kind of together you get faith in, you know, her whole storyline where she goes to L.A. and then ultimately ends up sort of doing the right thing and turning herself in, right. you know, and you get the conversations between Buffy and Angel. And so now that's sort of resolved amicably sort of, and, and, you know, like that kind of stuff. And, and the initiative stuff is all finished and cleaned up. Um, Oz is sort of done with and gone and out of the picture. That's what I was thinking. Like all of the three main, her relationship and all of the three main, like young characters have, committed relationships by the end of the season so not to say that those won't go through their own there may be like troubles and breakups and stuff but also you have the sense of nobody is without it's almost like the end of the shakespearean comedy like we've all paired off like you know like everybody except like giles like he's he's maybe still the only yeah so he's the exception to the rule which i think he is in a lot of ways but at least with the three you know, mm-hmm. the the soul triptych, I guess. Each of them now has a partner, you know, of their own mm-hmm. who isn't one of the inner circle of Scoobies, but also is part of the group too. So nobody's really like outnumbered or left on their own. They all kind of have equal footing, you know, within the group. And their relationships are all like, you know good and confirmed like there's no kind of there's none of the like last season where you know buffy and angel were kind of weren't quite sure where they were with each other or even like xander and anya who were sort of interested but weren't really together yet whereas like now okay all three of them have that that committed partner now so there's yeah i mean anya was to it Anya at the end of season three was trying to run out and of town begging and, him to go with her. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So like they they were clearly not quite on the same the page word, there. Yeah. So, and now they are. Yeah. So 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, although she's still not sort of willing, like she stayed as far away as, from Adam as she could. Sure, like, yeah. You know, she's still not willing to like jump in and fight. But yeah. I mean, like things like with, um, you know, that terrible episode where the wild <laughs> things are. The, um, you know, where she does she at did least like take the initiative a bit you know, more. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and and or at least they're um, all they're all committed to their partner if not necessarily equally committed to like the cause of fighting evil right um right 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 you know like clearly there's a difference between riley and anya for example uh, you know yeah, yeah. but yeah and Terrace kind of in the middle yeah. like she's kind of willing to do it but would rather not but she's she not exactly like you know looking yeah. to fight but like but i would say it seems like there's a similarity between their level of devotion to Buffy and Willow and Xander respectively, you know? Sure. And we get declarations of love from each of them. So, um, right. And poor Giles, you know, he's the one who's dreaming about his, you know, being with Olivia and they have like the stroller and everything. And there's that kind of sad image of the overturned stroller and her just sort of crying and everything. So you, yeah. It doesn't really go into the reasons of what happened with that relationship, but it does kind of right. hint at this slight frustration for him of of things not maybe working out the way he would like them to. So he's the the exception to that rule, I guess. Right. Yeah, although I think um Yeah, I mean, at least for Giles like you know, again, like, he, he goes through various stages of alcoholism and loneliness, <laughs> like, yeah. throughout this yeah. season. Right. So but there's like, some larger um, issues going on, but... But, like, at least, like, you get him to the point where he's involved yeah. at the end. You know what I mean? Like, he's... I mean, that... The whole... The whole episode the yoko factor where you know spike sort of pulls him yeah. apart is kind of funny where he does sort of get grumpy and whatever but like you know the fact that at you know in the in the penultimate episode where they're uh, i almost said the finale but it's not actually the yeah. finale, Feels like, like the finale uh, where where they're you know where they're coming back together and and he does sort of you know buck up and and realize like yes we should yeah we should help out and, and, you know, there is a solution here and acts more like his sort of traditional mm-hmm. role as a watcher and whatever. So um, obviously we could, we'll talk more about that in, you know, the next season <laughs> yeah. and sort of how he, what he does from there. Um, but anyway, like I, I don't want to just sort of completely dismiss it and say like, he's useless at this point. Cause he's certainly no, no. not, but but I think you're right to point out that like there is there is at least a little bit of of you know something sort of still to be fixed with him. But by and large, based you know compared with what we had at the end of season three, versus you know with relationships breaking up and people leaving and you know or trying to leave and and all this different stuff mm-hmm. sort of going on. Um, you know, again, faith in the coma and whatever, but like now a lot of that stuff is resolved. Mm -hmm. And so you do sort of get this feeling of like, this is, 
you know, with the episode Restless, this is sort of a dream for us as well to to just sort of have it resolved, call back some stuff, hint at some future stuff, and say sort of explicitly through Tara, you don't actually know what's going on. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's going to change, yeah. you know. Um, so we can maybe expect that season five isn't going to... And and I think we got a bit away from it even in season four. It's not we're you know as as much as the first few seasons were mm-hmm. the sort of uh, metaphor of the week, mm-hmm. um, and not every not every week, and certainly it got less as as it went on. Like I think we can see that season five, yeah. six, and seven are going to be even less like right. that. Right. Um, and again, maybe not totally get away from it altogether, but it is going to be more about mythology and story, mm-hmm. you know, from a larger standpoint than sort of that episodic, yeah, uh, kind of stuff. So. Makes sense. Okay. Um. So we talked about restless and and. A, kind of in doing so about like the whole rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> I do actually now want to talk about my favorite episode, or at least the one I picked, um, which is a very episodic, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of, uh, we get, we get, uh, we talk about how Dr. Who does from time to time, these like genre pieces. And I would mm. say this is the, the episode I'm picking is sort of along those uh-huh. lines for Buffy, even though we get fewer of them with Buffy. Um, and that is superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we get Jonathan, who is sort of the master of the universe um, and all of that. And and so um, I think we talked about it back in when we were talking about the episode, but like this is definitely, there's sort of an, a couple different things going on. One, we hadn't seen Jonathan yeah. since the end of season three. Right. Um, I, I think literally the last time we saw him was like in the you fight, know, like the big of, fight yeah. in the finale. Yeah. And so, um, kind of nice to see him because, yeah. you know, even though he's definitely like a minor character, like it's fun to sort of that, you know, he got checked yeah. in with, and, and we get similar things with like Harmony, like, you know, she doesn't like stick around a lot in season four, but we do kind of get like her like, Oh, look, I'm a vampire now. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and, and we get this like checking in of like these sort of minor characters, but, um, I like the way they did. First of all, I mean, we've given all of our praises for Jane Espenson yeah. as a writer, and I mean, she's fantastic. I don't think you, I don't think you can give too many um, praises for no. her as a writer. But um, this is like this was just one where you can tell like they just had this idea one day, or she had the idea, yeah. and it was just like we have to do that. <laughs> we have to, we have to like like not only do we have to bring Jonathan back, we have to do it in a big yeah. way, and here's how we can make this happen to the point where like they even inserted him into like various parts of the yeah. credits and, you know, like just, just really fun stuff like that. Um, and it, there's not a lot of times where Buffy uh, changes up the credits like mid season mm-hmm. like that for, especially for one episode. So like when it does happen, you do have to kind of like really take yeah. note. <laughs> um, but uh I think, uh, I think, I mean, like you, one of the reasons why I like this episode is because it's so different. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it is actually like maybe a little more metaphor of the week, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in so far as it's like, oh, you know, 
don't wish for things that you can't have. And if you try to, right. you know, change your actual destiny or position, then like bad things happen. But, um, you know, and I'll, there's all sorts of free will versus predestination stuff you could maybe do mm-hmm. with that. But I think, I think, um, one of the critical things that we get here is that like, even in, even in Jonathan's sort of pseudo world where he's the hero and the star of the matrix and <laughs> all of these different, you know, yeah. things, you know, he's written books and, you know, counseled like high powered people yeah. and all this stuff. Um, it's the insights that he, that he gives to Buffy and to Riley in particular, but also like, like it's one of those things where like all of, all of the ephemeral mm-hmm. stuff the books and the billboards and, you know, the TV spots and whatever. Like, those are all the fake things. Mm. But it's actually, what I really like about this episode is that it doesn't just, I mean, yes, Jonathan is sort of pathetic and <laughs> and uh, weaselly, mm-hmm. but it doesn't paint him as just that. Sure. Like, you you actually get that he has somewhere inside of him a decent heart and and like not that i think we didn't think that before because like you know back when you know back in the 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 prom episode where he's giving buffy uh, the award, the award yeah. you know for the, the which gets broken at the first episode of this season but you know yeah. that's neither here nor there um, you know, the, the class protector award, which is, there's the callback, right? Like even it's like, Oh, yeah. do remember when Buffy gave me that yeah. class protector award? <laughs> no, it's the other way around. But like, even like the callback that like, like that there actually is something inherent in Jonathan. And I think, I think, I mean, we see that one in the fact that he ultimately chooses mm-hmm. to, you know, have Buffy beat up yeah. the evil creature um, and he does so by like, it, it's not even like he's tricky about it, but he does so by sort of encouraging her and abdicating his own, yeah. you know, sort of pseudo power. Um, yeah, he gives it up to let her fix right, it. Yeah. Right, right. It's not like she just does it and he doesn't have control or that he's unwilling no, to do this. No, it's a that, choice. That he yeah. actively makes the choice, um, you know, and it's after realizing that the way he went about doing things is bad. And so like, again, like that doesn't absolve him from the sort of weird and kind of creepy and weaselly <laughs> way that he's acted, yeah. but, but it, it redeems him yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, and also like that, the advice that he's giving, like, like it's that he just he needs that confidence, but mm-hmm. like once he has the confidence, it's not like you, you you know the things the things that he says to Buffy and Riley are actually true, and that's what kind of the point at the end. Like he's like it's all kind of fading, but actually I think what I said was true. Yeah. Like you do need to just kind of look and see like what what do you really want mm-hmm. here? And and he says the same thing to both of them, and it's. It's not that he's like a bad person. He's just a lonely mm-hmm. person and a sad person. And like everyone else, um, 
wants to connect and feel important, which in the context of this entire season fits really that's well. That's what I was just you know going to say. Mean? I think that's where like, it transcends the metaphor of the week and really does yeah. work towards the season that all of the characters, even though they're sort of, it's not like they all have like a group hug and forgive him and every, like they're all kind of pissed off at no. him at the end. But, you know, if you really stop and think about it, he really is speaking to a lot of the things they're going through that each of them individually, I mean, everyone all the time can relate to those feelings of insecurity and everything. But I think even more so this season, because you have this sense of a new, you know, we've given up the old way of being and now we're in this new one and we don't quite know where we fit in. Um, and things aren't quite as, you know, easy as we thought they would be. So, you know, Buffy and Willow are roommates, but they're not necessarily spending all that much time together. And they and they don't quite know where their relationship is anymore. You know, Willow, we talked about her own just deep-seated confidence issues that she's had from the beginning mm -hmm. and how... She seems to have blossomed in college, and I think she has, but also that doesn't mean that that anxiety or insecurity goes away. Um, right. And then you do have all of these new relationships. Each of them has these new relationships this year that are different from the ones they had before. Um, mm. Like, you know, again, thinking about their relationships, like, you know, Riley and... Tara and Anya really couldn't be more different from, you know, uh, Angel and Oz and Cordelia, you know, like, so not sure. only are they new, but they're, you know, very new, you know, um, right. and then just getting used to college, you know, not having Giles there all the time. So they don't have him as a resource. He doesn't have them to sort of, you know, see on a daily basis and really feel like he's connected so I think on a larger level, you can definitely take those feelings of feeling like you're lost in the crowd and no longer valued or important, you know, to the world or to your friends. And that's, mm. I think, definitely how Jonathan feels is sort of on his own and like he needs to way overcompensate in order to create a world where he yeah. is you know the center and you know valued by other people um and there's a lesson yeah. in there somewhere for everybody else of you know you're he has value in his insights in who he is he may not always be appreciated for that the insights, which are natural to him, are way more valuable than this, like, artificial Jonathan-centered right. world that he's created. Um, and yeah. maybe Xander and... doesn't need to be, you know, the the leader or the strongest or the smartest or the fastest, that it's his, who he is, that's valuable to the group, even if that doesn't always come across. Or, you know, you could apply the same to the rest of them, I think. Um but that mm -hmm. is something that I think they're going through that same sort of thing. So it definitely fits, even though it is mm -hmm. Monster of the Week, it definitely fits on a thematic level. 
Um, I like, too, how it does... I mean, again, Jonathan's a minor character, and this is probably the episode where we see him more than any other episode. But I like how even the little that we've seen him, the the character has certainly developed, but it has sort of remained consistent where, you know, like in the early episodes where he's, like, doing stuff for Cordy to, like, be her boyfriend, so to speak. But, like, you know, we know that that's not actually a real thing. But, like, or... You know, even like, yeah, he's always the one who sort of gets knocked over or tripped or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And and it's sort of the butt of jokes. But we see that that in itself with with earshot that that becomes like sort of the thing. Right. Like he's the one now up in the bell tower with a gun. Yeah. And yes, OK, maybe he was only going to kill himself. But like we see that that same sort of like you know, Buffy calls him out sort of on his selfishness Mm -hmm. and like, Hey, everyone's got their own problems. Like you're, you're not the only one. In fact, literally everyone has the same issues that you have. And so like, there's a point there where you could say, okay, that like knowing that can actually be the connecting force Mm -hmm. with other people. Like, like you can take the empathetic approach, but like now we see like, a year later, almost, I mean, almost exactly. Cause yeah. it's like another sort of late season, yeah. um, you know, episode where we're like, he hasn't quite learned that lesson no. still <laughs> like, okay, yes, this is kind of better than him in a bell tower with a gun, but like it's actively hurting other people. Yeah. And, and what's the thing that he's doing wrong again? He's focusing on himself. Mm-hmm. He's thinking that, if I were just better in these ways, everyone would like me and I would be long. But actually, it doesn't work out that way. Everyone, like, even when he's popular now and, you know, supposedly known for all of these things, yeah. like, it actually isolates him still right. from everyone right. else. So, right. you know, there's this there's this idea of, like, he's continually trying to be you know, involved and connected and, you know, have these friends or whatever, but he's, he's persisting still even yeah. to go about it in the wrong way because everything he does is so focused on himself. And it's, I mean, and we see it with the Scoobies too, like when they're, it's when they come together mm-hmm. and are focusing on each other and on the team yeah. that they actually excel. And I mean, you can argue that, well, Jonathan doesn't have a team, but there's also, it's like the vicious cycle of, well, he doesn't have a team because he never focuses on other right. people, you know? So like, you, you know, continuing to sort of do these things that are only good for him or only focus on himself. That's not the way you, you know, gain friends and influence. Sure. <laughs> like, well, and it's that's like the, the one genuine connection he has in the whole episode is when he gives Buffy that advice which is when yeah. he's thinking about her, not himself. You know, that it's not about how, you know, it's not a self-focused, how's this going to benefit right. me or make me look good? It's a, I understand what you're feeling and here's, you know, here's my thoughts on it. So, you know, and both within the spell and outside of it, those are like the only genuine connections that he has. So... Yeah, I think the lesson there is that definitely it's when you're focusing of focusing on other people that. Yeah. Um, so, 
so I guess the question then, I mean, we don't see Jonathan for the rest of the season. Um, if, and perhaps when we do see him again, the question is, has he has retained he learned that anything? lesson or not? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, because you, know. you feel and like, you feel like I will. I will neither confirm or <laughs> deny if we see Jonathan again. But like, I think that's that's sort of the. You thing. feel like is, the potential that... there is somebody who keeps getting the wrong message. Like it, it that it's a matter of potentially for him. You know, and and we've really only had two episodes that looked at him closely. So I don't want to like judge him too harshly sure. on it. But there is that sense of he understood what he did wrong he just didn't necessarily understand why you know and so it's a matter of well if i change my approach you know it that you know i've learned that suicide is not the answer so what is the answer it's like making myself really good at everything you know whereas you're you're you know you're it that might be the answer but to the wrong problem or something you know like (laughs) sure um so yeah, or or you go about it the wrong yeah. way. Like it's fine to like develop your skills and whatever, but doing it, you know, taking the quick yeah cut of you know using magic and yeah. having everyone sort of be enamored with you magically. I mean, Xander learned that right with the Valentine's right, Day episode, right? right? <laughs> you, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much of you a know good that thing. it's um, yeah. That it's not really the right way to go about doing. No, so that is that is interesting. When next time we see him, is he still after this pursuit of acceptance, or will we see like a new kind of Zen Jonathan who's sort of at peace with himself, and probably he'll be way more likable once he sort of just accepts who he is, you know? Um, Mm. So Yeah. yeah, but I think. Whether or not he learned that, I think probably by the end of the season, the others did. That, you know, they do kind of, when they're having their big breakup fight at the end of the Yoko Factor, it's all that self-focused, well, you know, Mm. it's all that kind of accusatory, you know, you don't understand what I'm going through and I had this thing, you know, which might be true, but that becomes non-important when suddenly we're focused on what does the group need? What do the other ones need? How can I support you? And suddenly like all those other things don't matter anymore. Um, Or you realize Mm -hmm. that they were based on misunderstanding and, you know, miscommunication and everything. So, yeah. 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 Um, we should move on yeah. to the angel episodes now. <laughs> we should. We should. And I feel I like mean, we're talking a lot about the characters as we do this, so I think we're covering a fair amount of ground. Yeah, I think we've covered most of the characters. I mean, there's a few sort of minor characters. I don't I don't know that we need to talk about like the initiative and Adam and all that. Yeah. I do want to talk about though, because because I actually think that this theme is played out as well mm. before we move on to yeah. Angel. I do think that we we should talk about Spike mm, yeah. because I think I think one of the things that we see happening with Spike this season is and and it started happening before this season as well, but um, sort of continues in this season is the the continued uh, you know um, isolation yeah. 
that he that he's feeling. Speaking so of like isolation, you know yeah. yeah so like if, if we're talking about how like you know the Scoobies and them pull together and like Jonathan is seeking you know this sort of connection that he's not quite successful at getting because he's kind of going about it the wrong way like we see Spike sort of going the opposite way yeah. and not not of his own sort of doing um one i mean you know we get we get the beginning of the season right that sort of drusilla has left him uh-huh. again and um you know he's trying to hunt her down and he he gets all gung-ho and leaves to go try to get her back but then like she doesn't want to come back and so yeah. like he returns and you know and you know again we love the whole the whole monologue of the you know where he's trying to be like the big bad returning yeah. and he yeah he gets interrupted yeah, gets but um halfway through yeah but like yeah so the 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 insertion of the chip is an interesting device and and you've sort of mentioned like how does this sort of affect him like it's sort of almost voice a very specific type of conscience on mm. him and does that like kind of in a way act like a soul in the way that angel mm-hmm. like now has a conscience and a soul and and at least a memory of sort of all the bad things he's done and so we get we get him sort of like irritated about it at first and then sort of reluctantly working with the scoobies mm. to um you know get money or whatever and then he sort of like finds out that he can still beat up demons yeah you know even if uh, he can't beat up humans anymore. And so, like, he does that. And, you know, I mean, he's still sort of living and, well, not living, but, like, existing and, you know, trying to be evil. And we see him working with Adam and stuff. But even that's sort of unsuccessful. Yeah. Like, as much as, as much as, like, he likes to sort of harp on his own, you know, killing of two slayers and being a big bad, he's actually not that great of a strategist we sort of discover in this season. But but you do see this sense and and I mean even by the end, you know, what's he doing all day? He's kind of like spending it in his crypt alone. Right. You know, like he's not he he doesn't have a partner, he doesn't have I mean, he had Harmony for a little while. Sure, but, you know, kind of at the beginning, yeah. but he sort of used yeah. her just for whatever. And and you know like that's he sort of pushes her away he gets this chip in the head in the head so he can't like really attack humans anymore and then like he starts attacking demons until like they gang up on him and tell him you know you keep doing this and you're gonna get dusted and so like there's every way that he's going he's sort of isolating himself more and more um and and lower and lower on the totem pole of you know, evil yeah. till like he does it effectively at the end with the like manipulations, but just that like the character that started out as like one of the potential big bads, you know, when we first met mm-hmm. him, now that's kind of what he's reduced to is like gossip. Like that's the evil that he like yeah. you know, and again, not that that's right. not perfectly effective, but like that's not exactly the the bad you know slayer killing you know yeah. uber vampire image that he wants to maintain this is like yeah. you know a pretty yeah. petty level of vampire crime as far as and it's, <laughs> as it goes yeah it and it's 
it turns out not even to be and really it doesn't that right effective. like it, it works right. for like a couple hours and then they figure out oh we all just talked to spike yeah 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 um so yeah i mean i don't know that i want to go more into that but that's sort of where we see him at the end of the season is this I mean, he still has a chip in his right. head. Which you is, know, a, still... I hadn't thought about it, but the fact that the initiative is gone and they kind of said, like, you know, raise it to the ground kind of thing of pour concrete in, nobody's even going to say, right. they can't even go in there anymore. What does right. that mean for Spike? Does that mean that he lost his opportunity to get the chip out of his head? Who can he now go to to kind of get that taken care of? Um, sure. You know, we'll. Uh, so many we'll questions. See. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, wa- I wanted to sort of point out that he, I mean, I guess maybe it's almost an inverse trajectory of, you know, the rest of the characters, sure. but like it, you know, thematically, it's still, it still fits in with sort of the overall season. Yeah. And I guess I would just say, I sort of mentioned this at the beginning, but I, I would just say that this is, you know, for for those who criticize, like there, there are some people who say that Buffy should have ended at the end of high school mm. and that like season three was sort of the epitome and everything after that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone says that obviously, but like there are people who make that argument. Okay. People, people you and I even both know. <laughs> and so, um, okay. I won't ask you who. We'll yeah, wait till, uh, uh, till the camera. So, goes. so basically, um, I would say that even though, yes, there are some bad episodes like Beer Bad or Where the Wild Things Are, that as a season, I actually think that some of some of the feeling of this the this show losing its way mm-hmm. is actually possibly intentional. Sure. But even if it's not intentional actually Still fits works. in yeah. pretty well yeah. with with the theme of 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 the series of of the season. So I I like it for yeah. that reason. Like I I definitely think it works pretty well still. Um again, I mean I I think season 3 is the strongest as a season in the arc wise, but I still think like that doesn't mean this isn't still a pretty strong season. Right. Like I still think I still think it's pretty good and that um even you know, even beyond just sort of the individual episodes that are strong, like I think as a seasonal arc, yeah. when you when you finally get that, oh, this is what it was about. We've, all we've been losing yeah. our we've been losing our way, and now we need to pull together again with the sort of explicit mention of you know like the well the finale, but not the finale, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, being that they're all working together and there's these cards like just knowing Joss Whedon and how he plans out a season, you, you have to think back and say, Oh, that kind of like weird looseness of, yeah. you know, like things not quite working out or maybe things not clicking like the way they were, that was all intentional. Mm. And, and that knowing that that's where it was heading ends up, working out pretty well which i would say is sort of the opposite feel that you get with like a show like agents of shield Mm. (laughs) where it feels like they don't they haven't figured this out yet 
know where they're going with it and that it just seems a lot of the time to kind of be... Well, and so much of that, you do have to wait and see where it goes at the end. You know, as much as I think you can, and we do look at episodes individually and that's worth doing, there's like the whole retrospective thing totally... Like, it reminds me of something... um, uh, I've heard like... Damon Lindelof, who ran Lost, talk about, like, Mm -hmm. how far ahead the showrunner and the writers are from the audience. That, like, there seems Mm -hmm. to be this kind of notion that, you know, if if we hate an episode, that you can fix it next week. And that's just not the way, because you're working so far ahead. And, you know, him saying, like, you know, that character or that episode that you hate we hated that six months ago. (laughs) And so it just takes that long to course correct. And so kind of this idea of like, you know, the, and now that's like a negative example, but for like a positive example, they may be laying groundwork for things that you won't understand until, you know, the end of the season, because they're so much further ahead of you in terms of, you know, Yes, fixing the problems, but also the the positive stuff, like getting to where we want the characters to be, or you know, like if we want the season to be about the characters are drifting apart and then come back to together in the end, then that means that we have to start with the characters drifting apart, and you're gonna hate it because you don't want the characters to drift right. apart, but. But right. you can't have the coming together at the end if they don't drift apart. So right. that's part of which, the story. Which is Tolkien's <laughs> eucatastrophe yeah. requires discatastrophe. Yeah. Like you, you can't you can't have a, a sudden turn of good events if everything's not bleak. You can't have a a third act everyone pairing off and being nice in Shakespeare without a second yep. act, you know. Yeah. Oh everyone no, they're gonna lose each other forever. And, yeah, yeah. You know, dramatic irony that yeah. causes, you know, hijinks and dismay. So yeah. Um yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely right. And I think that that's and maybe that's the difference between like we, we were sort of talking before we started recording about like casual fans versus like introspective mm. fans of of just TV shows mm-hmm. in general and Whedon specifically, but like um I think that might be like one of the key right differences between those two things is that even while we may not be even while we may not like a particular storyline or a particular episode or whatever, at least like in the in the grand scheme of things, we sort of can overlook that and say, "Well, it was good to have been." Sure. Because now here's here's where we end up. Yeah, and why and I think it's important to do the like season recaps because now, like an episode that was kind of meh at the time, suddenly works in the larger picture. You know, when you take a more mm-hmm. kind of bird's eye view of it, um, mm-hmm. it can kind of it doesn't necessarily make those episodes stronger than they were, but you gain a new appreciation for what part of the puzzle they had to fit in. Um, sure. So, yeah. And I mean, maybe I don't even agree that like the arc of, I don't think this arc is necessarily weaker than the arc of season three. I think maybe there's a slight difference in there aren't any bum episodes in season three, like there are in this season. 
but but I don't think like as an overarching story um I kind of like this season and I think it's mm -hmm. as strong as the others as far as I can see so um hey who doesn't feel sure. completely lost it like it would be disappointing if they went to college and knew exactly who they were and what they were doing and you know I kind of feel like that would make not much sense so um Sure. I like the way that they work that into the whole sort of overarching narrative of the season. Um, but we should talk about Angel a little bit. We should. We should talk about Angel okay. a little bit. Uh, so I think... Oh, okay. Yeah. No, sorry. You go. Okay. You go first. Well, so, like, again, I think there's things that we... Uh, tend to like certain kinds of episodes and then there's also like patterns I notice for myself um, that I really I think do am sort of drawn to things that speak to me on like a metafictional level like you know mm. maybe that's pretentious and clever and like you know postmodern or whatever <laughs> but I don't care like I, Which is totally I, you. Totally. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, I, I no, love nothing more. I mean, it has to be a good story. There's exceptions to the to the rule, but I really like stories which are, like, about the stories and, like, about themselves and kind of self-conscious in that way. So, of course, um, I picked I Will Remember You, which at the time struck me very much as a story kind of about itself because of the whole mm. nature of having this, uh, you know, being able to do sort of a Buffy episode where in a way, if you were the Buffy viewer who didn't want to watch Angel, it wouldn't matter because it gets erased for Buffy. And so there's this sense of it's kind of a Buffy story, but it's kind of not just like this is Buffy in an Angel episode. So it's part of Buffy's story, but also not. It's sort of undone and negated for her in the end. So sort of toying with that idea of these two stories are overlapping, but they're not quite doing the same thing. Um, and that, mm. like, it's exactly like what you said. Knowledge of Buffy is essential to this episode. But knowledge of this episode is not essential to Buffy, if that makes sense. Like, again, nothing happens for her in the sense of, of sure. you know, when she goes back to her next episode, it's as if this one never happened. Um, so, like, again, there's that kind of, like, the Buffy exerts more gravity in the relationship that um, what happens on Buffy has an impact for Angel, but not always the other way around. Um, so I kind of like that device. And again, I think maybe the other reason it stuck out to me was because Angel, this is the first season. And I feel like Buffy first season, because you're still establishing what the show and the format is, didn't really have any real experimental episodes. Um, like, you know, it's not until the second and third season that you start to get things like 
playing with the alternate universes or, you know, or doing really clever things like Hush or whatever. Um, First season of Buffy didn't really do that. Um, And I don't think Angel has done that much either. It's been more, you know, I don't want to say safe, but like it's still establishing itself. So like you can't really break the mold until you've finished making your mold. Um, but I think this like comes the closest, um, to, yeah. and it, it's not really until the end, you know, so it's not like the whole episode is weird and experimental, but just having that kind of undone retconned effect at the end, um, mm. where, you know, it just was sort of unexpected and a little bit bolder with what it was willing to do, like, you know, I think erasing the memories of your characters is always tricky because you want the characters to learn and grow from what they experience. So it's kind of nerve-wracking when suddenly you take that away from them. But I kind of like the fact that... that, that I think that's why this episode sort of stuck out to me. Um, was it does that in a way that I don't think any of the, ep- any of the other episodes in the season... Um, have done. And I'm interested to see as we go forward with Angel, will it, I'm sure it will start to kind of be a little bit looser with that of doing episodes that are kind of weird and one-off and not like anything else. So. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, so someone who I know you respect, uh, Peter S. Beagle, mm-hmm. has actually identified I Will Remember You as what he thinks uh, is the episode that typifies exactly what the entire series, mm-hmm. not just this season of Angel, is about. Um, and he said, he writes, Angel is one of those hero- heroes who flourishes on frustration, mm-hmm. uh, who thrives on never achieving their heart's desire, and that this... Um, you know, this episode where he kind of relinquishes that control or the the opportunity, I guess, to have, you know, normal, happy yeah. life with Buffy. Uh, instead, he chooses against it so that he can, you know, do penance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, this is his horsehair shirt and, right. you know, cat of nine tails that he's using to whip himself with in a way and that it, it, sort of typifies his character and and fate according to Beagle. So it also makes um, me um read it slightly differently in light of what we learn at the end where suddenly with now this prophecy in the scroll humanity and normalcy and mortality may be in the cards for Angel sometime in the unidentified vague future. So It kind of, and he has that kind of, "Mm, wouldn't that be nice, you know, and it kind of is like, Mm. you know, I don't know that that means that he wants to run to Buffy and tell her to wait for him, but it opens up a possibility, which, you know, is something which has been kind of tormenting him. And now there is that, that vague hope that that could come true. Um, so yeah you know right and 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 of course you have to be thinking about 
Buffy when he says that. Yeah. Mm, wouldn't that yeah. be nice? Like, I'm I mean, sure that's, that's where that's, he's That's going. the dream, yeah. right? And, and, and I think in sort of going off of that quote that I just read from Beagle is, is that the idea by, that by that time he will sort of officially have done his mm-hmm. penance. Like, there won't be any more penance to give. He will have earned right. it in a way, earned, earned it back. Um, and I don't think that that, I, I think that that very idea is actually intentional in in this episode as a foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, this episode is the first one where he goes to the Oracles. Right. There you go. I will remember yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. And, and that, right. um, that when, when he he goes to them, they do sort of they do sort of hint, like I don't want to say like it's the first you know reference to the Shanshu prophecy, although maybe it is. If so, it's sort of a oblique mm-hmm. reference, sort but, of laying the groundwork for it. Yeah, but they definitely they definitely you know talk to him about um you know, sort of fate and his, his purpose Mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. Like there's, you know, it, it, it's, that's sort of how, how he convinces them even like that, that, you know, cause they're like, Oh, you know, temporal folds are not for mortals to indulge in, (laughs) you know, like, or lower beings or whatever. He's not mortal, I guess, technically, but, um, you know, but, but he, even the oracles themselves sort of debate the issue and like, you know, he's sort of trying to um, like, he reminds them that like, Oh, there's this demon who is like trying to take me. Who's a warrior for these higher powers. So like, you know, he's even sort of referencing that there's some grander purpose, even though he doesn't know what mm-hmm. it is. And like, like they, they're hinting at it and, and there's no mention obviously of like a specific prophecy, mm-hmm. but he's kind of like using that almost as leverage, yeah. you know, for them to, to turn this back in time. And so, um, so that he can go kill the demon right. and it doesn't make him mortal and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I think that the very fact that you, bring that up is like i i i would guess that it's probably intentional Mm -hmm. or if if not explicitly intentional it's like at least they were sort of looking ahead to some of the themes that um that they were going to be yeah that that they were exploring well and even like like you said like with the presence of the oracles like it's not i don't think the first time we hear about the powers that be but um but but it is the first time we kind of meet the oracles so you have that kind of direct you know, pipeline to these sort of higher powers, which if you're talking about the notion of doing penance and Angel will be rewarded with something, you have to kind of wonder, okay, who is the judge? Who does the rewarding, you know? Right. Um, so, right. And so, right. There's, there's a accountant somewhere keeping tick marks yeah. of like how much penance yeah. he's done. And somebody you know? someday is going to, is just going to approve him you know, and give him his reward. So in both, you get this kind of notion of like some sort of higher power, which is, you know, keeping their eye on things um, and maybe going to make the decision of when he has done, you know, enough. Mm. Um, so, 
Yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all um, with the, like the connection to the oracles, but I think that is that makes a lot of sense that they were kind of looking forward to some of the mm -hmm. ideas that they knew were going to be coming further down the road. Um, yeah. And again, I mean, if the whole, again, like these, I think, are central idea, ideas to the series because it seems like Angel's penance slash redemption quest are kind of the thrust of his story, you know? Like if he's... Mm -hmm. If, if Peter Beagle's right and that he's a character that thrives on frustration, then the attainment of his goal means the show's over. <laughs> so, so it's like, and right, I don't know, right. I'm not like predicting anything there, but it kind of seems like that's the end point yeah. of his story is to achieve this thing which he's trying to achieve. Yeah. So these are, you know, central ideas to who he is as a character. Um if Angel's well, the vampire I, without a, or a vampire with a soul, he's always going to be questing to be able to, you know, keep his soul and get rid of the vampire part. Um, but. Um, yep. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and we talked about in the finale, in the season finale, that. Um, like the fact of the like the Shanshu prophecy and and sort of the final correct interpretation of it as we're given um that you know it does mean that angel can become human again um that sort of also so so we know from sort of the beginning of the season um you know that angel is sort of on this you know mission of redemption but like that can only take you so far. And we see throughout the season, like how he sort of is turning into himself. And yeah, you know, he has helpers, he has Doyle and Cordy and mm -hmm. then Wesley, you know, takes over sort of for Doyle, but like, you know, by that final episode anyway, like he's so sort of turned into himself and kind of, like you can it like it's weighing on mm. him like this redemption quest because there isn't any amount that will ever mm -hmm. be enough and when we find out oh actually there is an amount we don't we might not know what it is like it's going to be some time and it's going to be hard and it's yeah. going to be a lot of sort of very hard tasks to accomplish in between but but it's like it's the difference between seeing like an endless ocean Versus like a pool, right. <laughs> you know, a very like an Olympic sized pool, maybe, but it's still a yeah. pool of water and you might be scooping it out with a spoon, but eventually you'll scoop out enough. And at it'll least be, you can see you know, the parameters empty. of. Yeah, right. Right. So like there's there's just this idea of that, like no matter how far away there is at least a goal. And and even if you don't know exactly what it is, like that part of the goal is finding where that goal is. And so like it becomes tangible it becomes a reason to live it sort of it sort of puts him on his own like campbellian journey mm, you yeah. know of 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 finding what that is versus the much more nihilistic and and dark i think premise that we start out yeah. with of of just i've Eternal, done so many bad things yeah. i can 
I can never make up for it, but all I can do is try. Which I don't think is necessarily a bad premise to start with, but I do like that there's a positive mm-hmm. factor in there now too. Like, and I like, and you know, same same thing applies to what we we're saying about season four of Buffy. Like, it seems clear that that's where they were heading the whole mm. time. So like, it's not like this is like, oh, we right, suddenly thought of this minutes. for the last episode, no. like. I mean, it's clear with, like, episodes, like, I Will Remember yeah. You, that they put these little things, like, with the oracles who, you know, end up getting killed later and whatever. Like, that there are these small things that are pointing to there being a more positive uh, influence for Angel yeah. rather than just the mere, like, I have to atone somehow. Um so I think that was sort of the intention all along. And I, I do like that, uh, that it finally gets there. Mm-hmm. And that now, for the beginning of season two, we have sort of another, another you know, a similar thing like with season four of Buffy. Like where, you know, everything's sort of resolved for mm-hmm. Angel at this point. I mean, not, not that, obviously we know LA is a big city. There's going to be lots of people to help. Yeah. And, and we get you know, Cordy's like, we need to help them all, you know, because she gets sort of inundated with all these pain and sorrow that people are feeling. But, but we know that there's like, it's a new, it's a new mission almost Mm -hmm. like for Angel or, or a, or an updated mission, like a revise, like maybe it's the same mission, but now there's like different motivations to complete the mission. And, and so, yeah, I like that. Um, and, and also, I mean, before we get into my episode too, I mean, you know, acknowledging that just like Buffy season four, the first season of Angel is about coalescence and, and bringing together the team because Angel couldn't have gotten to that point without the people helping him. Um, initially Doyle and then Cordy, you know, comes right in very shortly Mm -hmm. after that. And then when Doyle dies off you know you get wesley coming and you know what a i mean in season three of buffy the way that angel wesley and cordy interacted or didn't interact together i mean would you have ever suspected that this is the makeup of yeah yeah you know angel investigations and sort of the core of the show i mean nobody would have but i love that it's the case because it you know one it highlights that all of these characters who, I mean, definitely Cordy and Wesley were secondary characters. Um, Cordy a little less so, but like Angel, Angel was a pretty integral character, yeah. at least, you know, uh, you know, again, he, he's not part of the soul triptych, you know, he has a soul, <laughs> um, but he, you know, he was still obviously very important in, in all three seasons leading up to his departure from yeah. Buffy. So, you know, clearly, but, you know, none of the three of them had a ton of interaction. I mean, there were sort right. of the flirtations between Cordy and Wesley. And I like that, um, that they're all together now and that they're, they're all recognizable mm-hmm. and yet different. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's been definitely some growth in each of their characters. Yeah. Um, even, even for Wesley in like sort of the half season that he's in, uh, you know, to, to sort of differentiate 
how he was and and give him and Cordy and Angel as well each a little more nuance yeah. than than maybe they started out with um and to you know you get the you you get in the finale um angel's concern for mm-hmm. each for both of them um you know running into the hospital when cordy's hurt or you know hurting and you know saying that he's family and then yeah you know caring enough about both of them did like involve gun and his crew you know to help watch over them while he goes and takes care yeah, of Yeah, this isn't so, just they it's not just cir- circumstantial anymore that Angel needs a right. receptionist and Cordy needs money for rent. Like, you know, right. the, this is them at the end genuinely worrying about each other and being mm-hmm. unified as a team and caring about each other. Um Right. And and also I think similar to Buffy these weren't characters that were together and then split apart and then came back. I mean, like you said, they were never really together to begin with. Yeah. Um, but there still is that sense of slowly coalescing over the course of the season and, and finding mm-hmm. their, even though they are working together, Cordy's not really 100% committed to the cause until the end of the season there. And Angel maybe right. hasn't totally accepted, you know, these people as his partners yet and then i think a big part of that too is doyle and the fact that you had a Mm. team that got broken apart you know by by his death so you know the team that was starting to form got sort of interrupted and then you have to kind of reform it with wesley now so that's part of the process of you know figuring out you know both from the writing and from the characters themselves, um, finding their relationship and figuring out the best sort of configuration of players and everything. Um, Mm. And actually, I think it's worth pointing out that even though Gunn isn't officially one of them yet, if he kind of is moving that way and becomes one, you now have a group of four, (laughs) which is sort of what we have with... You know, with Buffy sure, and Xander sure. and Willow and Giles. So, just another sort of little yeah. parallel I mean, there. Whedon does love his ensemble yeah. cast. So, no, and we do too. Know, that's fine. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, Gunn has been in the last three episodes, and we've already talked, I think, about how he'll be, he'll be back be and yeah, in 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 future episodes. So, I mean, it's not. N- yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't state the level of his role. I mean, right now he's certainly not part of Angel Investigations. Whether he sort of becomes official or just becomes a reliable ally or something different, yeah. like you know, I won't say. Yeah. But definitely, he will be a part in some way of mm-hmm. the show. Um, so very, very interesting. Um, so moving on to like the last fifteen minutes or so. Uh, moving on to my pick for this mm-hmm. season. I, you know, I mean, it is a first season. There are a lot of sort of Monster of the Week stuff. Although I think, ju- you know, it, just by nature of it being a spinoff, like, yes, it, it does have to spend some time sort of developing itself as mm-hmm. a show. But also, and, and it does, I mean, it does follow sort of a more procedural procedural noir uh-huh kind of format but there is you know definitely like the more mythological stuff that happens too 
And and I like I'm picking Somnambulist mm-hmm. uh, for this episode for this season um, for a few reasons. One, it was written by Tim Minear, so of <laughs> course. Um, but two, also I think because it navigates both of those aspects of the noir procedural and the the mythological mm-hmm. um, aspect of Angel's character and history. Uh, both really well it melds the two of them together really really well um so we get we get the story of pen uh who is uh one of angel's sirings i'm not sure what you call uh-huh. that i guess i guess going the other way angel is pen's sire there yeah. we go that's an easier way to say it and and i mean we know that angel has sired other vampires before right. like drusilla right. um and and you know, so I mean, obviously not the only one or first one, but there seems to be a rather particular connection between them. And we get, you know, angels sort of having these dreams that turn out to be actual events of pens doing. Yeah. Um, but like there's a confusion in it because they are dreams and whatever. Like we're not entirely sure if it's angels sort of having you know, like sleepwalking, sleep hunting, yeah. like, you know, what's going on exactly until we sort of get some of that backstory. Um, so you get this and, 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 and it brings in Kate, you know, Elizabeth Rome who plays Mm -hmm. Kate Lockley. And, and, um, so you get that sort of like, you know, again, you know, if if we're talking about series doing genre fiction, like this is the, the, almost the, uh, you know, it's like the law and order, Uh you know, ripped from the headline serial killer kind of you know, feel to it in that regard. Um, and it's also Kate's, uh, 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 being plunged into the world of vampires. So like the, the, it's the beginning sort of, of her, right. Her turning point is that, that also isn't resolved by the end of the season. I should point out, um, you know, the beginning of sort of her arc there where, where we turn from her being sort of an ally or at least potential ally with perhaps even a little, you know, romantic interest there to someone who actively dislikes and fears Mm -hmm. and is very cautious of Angel because of the events of this episode. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just think, I, I think it sort of hits on all of those notes really well the way the way the story kind of pulls together um and you know i don't i don't know that um and i don't know if we mentioned of course it's jeremy Mm -hmm. renner who who plays pen um but the you know the thing that uh i you know i i i guess i want to say that you know you get the whole like daddy issue stuff between sort of pen and uh-huh. angel as well, like with the whole siring and, and whatever. But like one of the things, and, and this goes back to like the atonement stuff and, and maybe part of why you need something more than just simple. Like I have to atone for everything mm-hmm. I've done is because you see angels guilt here too, not just for the things he's done, but sort of the exponential uh, effect of, like he's also responsible not just for his you know not just for pen you know and sort of killing pen and turning him into a vampire but 
for all the people that Penn has killed in the sure. meantime since then. And and when you think about and so we you know, we know about one or two others that Angel has turned, but we don't know who else Angel right. has turned into a vampire. So like when you start thinking along those lines, like of not it's not just everyone whose angels killed, right. but everyone the who infinite angels, amount of yeah. Yeah, potentially infinite yeah. amount of, you know, the vampires he sired and any vampires they've sired and so on down the line. Like we don't, and 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 that's the thing about it is like it is potentially you know, an, a bottomless ocean yeah. because we don't know who all those people could even potentially be. Mm-hmm. Like Angel remembers all the ones he killed, perhaps, but like this gives you insight into like it it could go well beyond yeah. that, um, you know, to that point of of where it just because it does become this sort of nihilistically cosmic mm-hmm. oppressive yeah. you know force you know that that could weigh on you um and so i think dealing with some of that um and also getting some more you know i mean flashbacks of angel in sort of like his old ireland mm-hmm. and uh you know or even other other areas where he is um but also like you know just even little tidbits like he was supposed to meet up with Penn in Italy and like now it's 200 years later, right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, just stuff like that where it's like, you know, they've just both been doing their own thing for the last 200 yeah. years. And I mean, of course you have, everyone has sort of friends like that. Maybe not like, <laughs> that long of a span yeah. time. Uh, but you know, the, the, you know, where you maybe you haven't seen someone in five or even 10 years or, you know, what, however long it is. And then, you come back and you kind of realize like, okay, they're not, we're different people now. Like, yeah. Yeah. We're different people now. And, and that's very true. In, yes. In Angel and Penn's case. Um, and I mean, you get that sort of thing even way back when like Spike and Angel first meet on Buffy, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I think it's Willow, right. That they have captured or something. I can't remember. Maybe it's Xander or someone, but like, it's very brief and you don't kind of get into it. Like this is like, they really get into it and and i like that um they sort of take you down that that path of like what could angel have been doing for the last 200 years well he could have been spending it with pen and they could have been killing double or yeah he probably would have you know way more people you know and probably would have so just that aspect of yeah i um, I think a big thing throughout the season and this is one of the big episodes for it has been even though keeping Angel the hero, like, he never really turns into the Angelus, you know, bad vampire, but you're continually reminded of the potential for that. Like, whether it's through, like, you know, the times when they're afraid that he might turn, um, or episodes like this where, like, you see, like, a flashback of how he used to be or how he could be, you know, and even the fact that he, like, the thing... uh, one of the things I remember about this episode is is the fact that Angel kind of fits the the stereotypical serial killer profile. You know, like he ticks all the yeah. all the like red flags of of the things right. that you might you know might typify. So like that's not to say he is that person, but he has all the the conditions are ripe. You know that he could be that. Mm. You know, almost at any moment if you know, if he chose to be or if just the wrong spell were to sort of get in there and mess things up. 
Um, so yeah. the fact that, you know, they do have the fake out where for a lot of the episode, you have to wonder, is it him doing this stuff? And, and what does that mean? So that's kind of like one thing Angel has that Buffy doesn't really have is like that anti-hero thing of like the potential at any moment for your main character to like go completely dark. Um, Mm. Not that Buffy can't be in dark places, but but I sure. don't see Buffy becoming like a soulless, rampaging mass murderer, <laughs> you know? Um, whereas sure. Angel sure. could. He has done that in the past, and we've seen him do it, and he kind of could do it again. So you're always... I feel like they're... Even though they're not... I think it would be annoying if that happened on a regular basis, you know, of like, is Angel good or bad this week would get kind of old, but it's also good to have that reminder there of how sort of close he is to the edge. Um, and showing stuff like this is a good way to do it, like showing the flashback of him, but also, you know, this person that he sired and created and, you know, who's mm -hmm. living the kind of life that Angel could easily be living himself. So sure, sure. No, I I think that's all good. Although I will I will just mention there actually is a book called Buffy Goes Dark, and I won't <laughs> tell you the subtitle, but um, just keep keep that okay. in mind. But anyway, um, yeah, and I don't no, I, I don't. I, uh, I think you're right. Even even Buffy's darkness though isn't the soulless rampaging vampire kind of darkness. Yeah, so I, 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 think I think there's probably I think, a, a difference there. I think you make a I think you make a good point there. I just when when you said that I I immediately thought of that book. So um <laughs> but yeah I I mean I, I like this episode obviously um again for all the reasons stated um including Minear. And I believe although this was the second Minear episode to mm -hmm. air I believe this was actually the first one that okay. he wrote for the series. And um, so, yeah, lots of, lots of fun. Um, yeah. Good introduction. Murder. For my, for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots of fun and murder. Um, but yeah. So, okay. Where, let's see. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we talked a bit about sort of the end of of the series. Mm -hmm. So so by the end we have Angel sort of finding out this Shanshu prophecy yeah. thing and we have Darla mm -hmm. returning. Very briefly we yeah. find out we don't know what is going on with her or you know she looks sort of harried and scared yeah. and um don't know exactly like literally that's the end of the episode where we just kind of have uh yeah excuse me, where we have kind of lila saying her name and you get the pan to see her face and then it like cuts, cuts away yeah know, another credits. thing which is darla and wolfram and hart are left sort of unresolved too and interesting that like yeah, yeah. wolfram and hart kind of is the big bad but they are not sort of vanquished at the end that like there's no other villain that spans the whole season the way they do but but sure. they're not, like, any of the demons that are, like, killed are not that important 
in the grand scheme of things that really the the one you want to be looking out for which is wolfram and hart are you know pretty much as strong yeah. as they ever were their plan succeeded they were able to resurrect darla for right. whatever they're going to use her for so um that's a change from buffy where you have had more yeah. season specific villains who are sort of cleared away before the next season starts yeah and i and we've talked a lot about sort of the the sort of more adult themes of angel compared with buffy um and i think that that fits with that right so you get this idea of like this corporate entity that does sort of move on continue moving on beyond sort of its components and by components i mean people yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah. like that there is this idea that you know okay so like lee gets killed because he's treacherous towards the company mm-hmm. right and and there is this sort of ruthlessness and whatever to it but like the like the fact of his would be treachery and his death don't actually stop they anything really that they're anything. doing like yeah. yeah like it's just they they slip another cog into his place and keep you know sort of plugging along and um you get some of the nuance with that like with um Lindsay's character and sort of his Mm. um potential to leave the company and then you know and and also sort of his willingness to set limits so like you know as evil as Wolfram and Hart is like now you have Lindsay sort of being moved up into a position right. of more authority, but he has sort of defined that there is a limit for himself personally. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean there's a limit for everyone or for the corporate, you know, entity as a whole. And so, you know, yeah. and that he's not willing that, to cross other limits, um, you know? Yeah. But, but there's at least certain things that he's not willing to do, but at the same time, he's also bought into, you know, yeah. the corporate culture, shall we say? Yeah. And, and so, you know, there is this idea, I think you're right, like that that the big bad here is Wolfram and Hart. It's not a specific demon. And we get a number of fake outs. Even like in the first episode, we get this like, or the first couple episodes or whatever, when Cordy's kidnapped by, I can't remember like the guy's name, and Angel, you know, kicks him out the window. And uh-huh. it's like, oh, well, I guess he's not the big right, bad, right. you know, like, but they were sort of setting him up. And even, even Volca at the end mm-hmm. here, um, you know, is sort of being set up as this, you know, very powerful demon who's a client, but, right. you know, right. still sort of taking things into and, his own hands. Yeah. yeah, can kill the oracles, like, definitely being set up, but then Angel ends up killing him. And, and yeah, it's like, in all of that, what is it that happens? It's the corporate, like, they keep, you know, Lindsay goes and continues the ritual yeah. while Angel's fighting the bag. So it's like almost like they don't even care that they, like, they still got what they the, wanted. The yeah. demon is there. Right, right. They've got a bigger agenda um, and they finished it. And like you, like even in Holland's sort of dismissive, sarcastic, you know, uh, commentaries about like the rituals and whatever, like, mm-hmm they're still necessary to get what he wants out. He doesn't, he doesn't care. Like he doesn't care about the magic. He doesn't care about the rituals as long as it gets what he wants to have done. Like, it's just a tool for him, you know, to, to achieve some other purpose. In the least uh, annoying way possible and everything. um, 
and and they're certainly the big bad insofar as like you know at the end i mean we know we're told that they're doing this ritual for you know quote the beast that will take down angel basically and so like what is it that can take down angel well apparently it's Mm -hmm. starla and i i think i mean we can't finish without mentioning how how well i i think how well and i think you've said actually said this as as well they do a job of sort of with the flashbacks throughout the season um and and reminding you that darla is someone who was at one point a highly influential person in Angel's life. Not just because she sired him, but also what's is there is there like a different word for a woman sire turn a, a female vampire I turning a, a, a male into a vampire? I, maybe or anyone, I guess. Yeah, sire doesn't seem quite right, but I guess that that is the appropriate term. Um, yeah, like not just because she turned him into a vampire, but also because like they spent i forget how long it was but like you know a hundred years or something together like you know they like and like exclusively like this is like spike and drew but like longer Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know you get the sense uh i think i think longer i'm not entirely sure about that maybe the math works out maybe it doesn't but you know it's that like we've seen Spike and Drew together. And so you get the sense that this is the same kind of thing. And that there's, and that the rejection that Darla gives to Angel when he gets his soul, not even at his own fault is also sort of significant too. We see that happen. So like all of these, you know, brief flashbacks throughout the season and, and not even in every episode, like they're only in certain sort of episodes, but they do it they do it so sort of subtly and well that you just that you're focused on oh what does this say about angel's right. character you're, you're, this and is it's about not, learning his backstory and you know right yeah and it's not until that last moment when you see that this beast that's going to take down angel is darla yeah. when you realize actually that makes complete and mm-hmm. perfect sense and why did i not pick why this out why did i see this coming <laughs> yeah well, yeah. and yeah. also when you were saying earlier about Angel's responsibility, not only for the things that he's done, but for the things that all the people that he's turned have done too, and on and on and mm. on, you know, so like the sire holds like this authority over the evil that they perpetrate. Then you have Darla, who is sire to Angel. So it's mm. like, I'm not sure quite what her role is in bringing him down but there is this sense of you know if that's true for angel then it's true for her too that she's bears this responsibility for him um and you know and maybe holds a certain maybe that's the key to her power is her kind of authority over him as the one who turned him um you know, so, like, and you can keep going further back up the chain, you know, as far as it goes, I guess. Um, but she has this kind of, like, weight within the Angel story of, you know, just like Angel has kind of power and authority over Drusilla or Penn or Spike or whoever. Like, he's older and more powerful than they are. Um, then mm-hmm. it's kind of like the same should be true of 
Darla that she was sort of the origin of him. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see. And to have that contrasted yeah. with, like you said, how sort of scared and non-threatening she looks at the end. Um, she doesn't look like anyone with a lot of power or presence, but um, but we know that she has yeah. it, so looks can be sort well, of... We'll see what coy that means and where it goes, I guess. And, and we also know... I mean, like, we saw how Angel was when he came back right. from the hell right. dimension that he was right. in. So, like, it's not... Yeah. You know, we don't know exactly what sort of happened or what she's What's thinking. Like, we literally on, yeah. just see a brief moment of her. So it could be that in, you know... After a nap, she'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, we don't know exactly yeah. what is going to happen, but anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Well. Do we have anything else? I feel like we did a pretty good job covering I, the I think we've we've talked about most stuff. Um Yeah, no, I don't I think I think we're good good with uh Angel and with Buffy and and Yeah. Cool. So We'll be back next week with first episode of season five of Buffy and a new episode of Doctor Who. All right. See you then.